Hello again, everybody, and welcome to episode 10, the Patrick Sharp edition of Angles and Attitudes. As always, he's John. I'm Mark. Today, we're extremely excited to welcome, just as he wrote it, Chicago broadcast legend and sharp-dressed man in his own right, Mark Greco. Mark, thanks for joining us. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, God. Mark, John, thanks. Uh, I can't tell you much. I appreciate it. Not so sharp, sharp dressed anymore. I don't know if I'm ever going to wear a suit again. And I was looking for a fedora. Hey, yeah, a fedora. Couldn't find one, but, you know, I'll get you later. I appreciate that. You know, my dad always used to say that because uh, we did the Fergie Jenkins one and uh, George Castle suckered me into thinking that Fergie was going to get dressed up. So I had a jacket and my son <laughs> accused me of being a try too hard. So uh, we'll never wear the jacket again. That's for sure. So hey, listen, my dad was a clothes horse. He looked like he walked out of a magazine and he said, hey, always overdress. You can always dress down. You can never dress up. So nice. yeah. good, good point. Again, right. My dad said, if you can't play like one, look like one. So we're going to go on that premise and leave it at that. So yeah. all right, we're going to jump right in. Um, I know facts, figures, everything. We start in Buffalo. We go to school in Dayton, we get a job in Dayton, we get a job in Louisville, and then you're in Chicago. Pick it up from there for us. Wow, that was pretty quick. Didn't happen that quickly. But <laughs> uh, I'll tell you, um, growing up in Buffalo, and again, the greatest compliment I ever had during the 40 years on the air here in Chicago was, you're from here, right? What parish are you from? Uh, because Buffalo is exactly like Chicago. It's just smaller. That's all. Same ethnic mix of people. We had worse weather in uh, Buffalo. Uh, same blue-collar attitude. Uh, same Great Lakes accent. Same die-hard, you know, attitude towards sports. We bled with the Buffalo Bills and, you know, also the Sabres. So it was an easy transition. So I'm eight years old. I'm in my bed with my little transistor radio, and I'm listening who Super CFL and Music Radio, WLS. My idols were Larry Lujak, John wow. Records, Van Decker, um, Dick Biondi. I want to be a top 40 rock jock in Chicago. You know, yeah, what, uh, what was it? Uh, traveling LSD on a Friday night, Trouble yeah. Bound. You know, yeah. I, I could think of was the mystique that the city of Chicago had. So from eight years old, I wanted to be here. Um, and I wind up going to the University of Dayton, uh, majored in communications, got a job. My first semester, year, full-time gig at a top 40 rock station. I'm one station in town. I'm doing overnight news and sports, but I like out of my mind over it. And uh, that led to doing morning drive where I became the sidekick of the jock. And then all of a sudden the local TV station says, hey, you want to anchor weekend sports? And I'm like, sure. I, I had no idea what TV was about. Just sort of fell into that. But Chicago was always the thing. I went to Louisville, Kentucky. Didn't want to go there at all. I turned them down three or four times wow. until they kept coming at me with more money. I was going to go to Providence, Rhode Island or somewhere northeast. You know, I didn't want to go to a foreign country like Louisville, you know. <laughs> right. I, was, I take it was, away. was 1982 the first year then, Mark, when you came to NBC here in Chicago? Yeah. Yeah. I went to Louisville in 77 and I learned everything about TV. There It was a great station, but not exactly my kind of town. My first night on the air, I'm very nervous. You know, it's a newsroom set and they had like the princess phones hanging on the wall right at my desk. Like I would 
type my scripts right at the desk where I anchored the show. You know? um, and so after the show goes well, everything's fine. The phone rings, you know, it's viewers calling right in to the desk. And the guy, yeah, you that new sports guy? I go, yeah. He goes, what are you, some kind of Puerto Rican or what? <laughs> well, not, not a very ethnic town, but I had one um, but I tell you, I learned a lot there. And then I got my huge break to come to uh, NBC5 in 82 and then jump to uh, ABC7 in 94. It, it, it is amazing how people get clickish or whatever. We talked earlier about the ethnicity and how proud people are. And you come from, you know, um, uh, immigrant parents and those types of things. Yeah. And I obviously my friends always tell me that they know if I've had too much to drink is when I start sounding like I'm from Texas because <laughs> everything starts to slow down and they're like, OK, Mark, it's time to go home because yeah. you went from Chicago to Texas. And, and I had to work uh, a, in, in a job I covered Wisconsin for five years and they didn't even want to let me go to Wisconsin to up to Green <laughs> Bay because they're like, you talk too fast. People won't trust you. You know, the right. whole thing will just go. And, and I'm like, so you had to earn your keep again, you know, uh, maybe not one of those, but a, a bear fan and a Chicago guy and you can't trust them. So uh, appreciate and, and understand that. And uh, we, we, appreciated and loved the way you covered uh, sports, probably more so just, and John, you can chime in too, just the approach, it's, it's sports, it's not serious, it's not as we find life or death. Don't take yourself so gosh darn seriously. Mark, yeah. you had a style that I loved. I, I thought it was more of a, it was just so pro, you know professional, but you had that swagger to you and on, the, on the nightly programs. And even in the locker rooms, I remember the Ditka era, uh, even with Michael, when Michael and the Bulls were doing their championships, coming to the city of Chicago. And when you came here, the tide started to turn where our sports teams were getting better. How was it for you, you know, coming from uh, Louisville, Buffalo, uh, coming to Chicago and you saw this tide of athletes? Well, the, the timing was perfect. I lived through the golden years of television here, uh, just the years of championships. I mean, look at during my tenure, six NBA teams, three Stanley Cups, two Super Bowls, two World Series. I mean, on and on and on, countless playoff games, the craziest personalities you can imagine. By the way, uh, I have to go back to the ethnic thing. Chicago is also the first place that was actually allowed and encouraged to use my real name. You know, way back then, all the DJs and TV people had fake names, or they used their middle name as their last name. Uh, I was Mark Greco because it was simplified. Nobody could, uh, Gian Greco, actually, you don't even pronounce it properly. It's actually John Greco. You John know, Greco. means John the Greek, Mr. John Greco. So, uh, you know, it was, people calling me Margine Greco or Gian Greco. <laughs> so we just went with Mark Greco until I got here, and that was wonderful. But, you know, I first got here, I was working for Chet Kopic, and I have to tell you, I said this at his funeral. Um, he could have completely thrown me under the bus as, oh, this new kid, he's trying to take my job. Or worse, just ignore me and let me take my lumps and make my mistakes. He actually protected me from all what was going on now because it was viciously competitive back then. I mean, we're unplugging each other's live shots. We're getting in fist fights in the locker room. Uh, <laughs> Johnny Morris, Tim Weigel would just be having a spit in the paper every single day 
all the TV critics were just fanning the flames and I'm standing back. I had like, you know, it was like you draft a young quarterback and you let him sit for a year behind the veteran. Well, I got to sit for about 10 or 11 months. And then unfortunately they just blew Chet out. They fired him and then they threw me in the chair and I'm like, Whoa, but what oh. prepared because Chet really protected me, taught me the ropes. And I'll never forget that. Chat was something else. Uh, all right. How you doing, everybody? You just everybody has their own little. As soon as you say that, you can't help but have your own little Chet Copic thirty-second moment there of oh, your own interpretation of, of Chat. I, I used to love. We're big Notre Dame fans, so listen to his post game on WLS or whatever you'd find him. Your dime, your dance floor, Mark. What do you got for me today? You know, just that, how that, you doing, everybody? Yeah. That was first of all, he was about six seven. And uh he, though his personality, even if he was five seven, he appeared bigger than life than the celebrities and the athletes he interviewed. And he would always do these things like he'd wait till the last minute to do a live shot at the old Chicago Stadium so we could speed down West Madison. We'd get in his Cadillac, <laughs> black Cadillac. I swear he took out the front seat. He was like gangster. <laughs> he had the vanity plates, uh, CCWMAQ, and he's going 100 miles an hour down West Madison on the sidewalk, pulls it. The producer's going nuts. The cameraman's like, he's not here. The microphone's laying on the floor. You know, it's either right before a Hawks game or a Bulls game. 10 seconds. What are we going to do? He walks in, five, four, three, two, picks up the mic. All right, good evening, everybody. He, <laughs> wow. And I remember I had this thing. We would go to a Hawks game or a Bulls game, and he was showing me the ropes, so I'd tag along. And he would do a lap around the court or the rink every time in his full-length fur coat. Mm -hmm. And he'd be waving to everybody. Everybody's like, Chad, Chad, he's mm -hmm. waving. So I had been on the air for a few weeks, so some guy goes, hey, there's a new guy. How you doing? And I waved to that specific guy. Chad goes, Marky, Marky, no, no. Never wave at one particular person. Wave at the whole section. He goes, <laughs> Me that. <laughs> ever the politician you know uh, yeah. that was something else hey obviously he, he his mentorship and all uh served you well three emmys um countless um you know uh awards uh throughout your broadcast career but being a rookie that i am i tried to do research i want to know how you won the 1996 chicago father's day of the year award well I think that was just like a fundraiser. I think that was 19, <laughs> but I honored nonetheless. I think that went to a lot of media people who had kids, but I'll accept it because it's the most important thing in the world. We got Father's Day weekend coming up. I'm flying to Colorado to see two of my sons who have my three grandkids. And then the following weekend, I'm going to New York to see my oldest son and his fiance. So that's the most important thing in the world. By the way, probably would have won 23 Emmys, but when I went to Channel 7, Joe Ahern, our general manager, he uh, got in a big with the, uh, with the Academy and said, forget it, we're not entering. So for about 30 years, we didn't enter anything in the Emmys. Oh, and, wow. and I got to tell you, man, they're kind of a ripoff. You have now, you have to actually pay for the statue. It's like 150 bucks, $200, whatever. And I, you know, your, your stuff that you submit is judged by people from other markets in many cases smaller markets like 
people in Milwaukee are judging what's being aired in Chicago. So it's a very subjective kind of weird thing. And uh, look at, I was my biggest critic. I was my harshest critic. If I thought it was good, that was good enough for me. I don't have to have a statue. You know, I think they hand them out. And then we won as a station, like we won oh. some various shows we did that I didn't think were any good at all. Not sports shows, but other things that I was part of. And I'm like, that show sucked. <laughs> so I really, you know, awards are awards. If you feel like you did a good job, mm -hmm. if sports department entertained ourselves, if we thought something was funny or something was cool, that's all that mattered to us. And just so happens that most of the viewers thought it was good too. So that's what we want. We want the viewers to dig it. We want to be proud of it. You don't need a piece of paper or a statue to tell you it was good. No, every night making time to, to watch you or catch you, you know, as things started to expand. I know I had one of the notes here. I always love, you know, you hanging out with Jimmy Shorts and Kevin Matthews and, and the cavalcade of stars and, you know, wondering, uh, you know, what's Jimmy doing now, you know? Um, you know, and Mark and, and I, uh, the two Marks here tonight, I got to tell you, Mark G and Greco, uh, Mark, you were always, you know, it was like you were always ready to change, you know, meaning you were modern, you were up to date, you went with the times. It's like you were almost reinventing yourself and keeping yourself as this popular, most modern guy. I mean, we're talking 1982 till, you know, just the end of April here. And you just kept it fresh and kept it coming. And, you know, this Iris Award, the Emmy Awards, your awards for the Justinian Society here of the Italian community. Uh, incredible. And you also got a Dante Award, which I think I was at that night. It's it just yeah. incredible work. Well, thank you. I mean, I, I think I've fallen off the cliff. I was hanging on the edge of hipness, but I think at age 69, I finally, you know, fallen off. But I, I tried to stay current. I tried to keep up with pop culture. I tried to just wing it and just be myself all the time. And I'll tell you, I was doing a Kevin Matthews show in the morning. We're up at 4.30 morning cup of coffee at a microphone in my house up on the third floor and uh it was the greatest he goes dude all you have to do is a couple of short sports casts and you can go back to bed well i'm on from 4 30 to 8 30 a part of every bit jimmy and i used to get in fights all the time yeah. <laughs> by the way we're still doing gut check time gut yeah. time. Yeah. my he dad always used to love Sergey Kutcherkakov. He he always remembered that right wing from the, the Russian right wing that the Blackhawks had. That used to drive my mother nuts because we would get my dad the Jimmy Shorts in the morning coffee mug and he'd have it all around the house. 35 years, Chicago public school teacher, right? An educator and everything else. Big well, Jimmy Shorts fan. Well, how about this? Um, I go on vacation and I had set up a live interview with Jeff Torborg before a White Sox game. And Jeff was so cool. He knew how to handle the media. He was a great guy. He's like, yeah, sure. So I was going to be in studio and he was going to be live and we're just going to go back and forth. I don't know. Royals were in town. It was a big series, whatever. Uh, I go on vacation. So I say, hey, look, whoever's filling in for me, you know, they got this live shot with Torborg. So make sure you do it. Well, no one was available. Um, I forgot who our weekend guys were at the time. We went through so many of them. We couldn't find any to fill in for me they got kevin matthews to fill in <laughs> as jim short <laughs> ever seen jim on ever seen a picture of him so he, they had an empty chair on the set and it was kevin off to the side 
doing Jim, of course. And they decide to do the interview with Torborg anyway. And it's like, all right, uh, Jimmy Shorts here. Uh, Jeff Torborg's with it, Jeff. Let's get right to it. What time's the game? <laughs> and Torborg, what? So Torborg's trying to go with it. And Jim's asking him the stupidest, lamest questions. And just everyone on the set is breaking up. So it's over. And he's like, yeah, okay, thanks. I come back from vacation the next week. I'm at the ballpark. I see him running across the diamond going, come here. What, was, <laughs> what are you doing? I go, I, it, I had nothing to do with it. I was on vacation. <laughs> with Jimmy Shorts, he goes, I had no idea. who. I thought he was like a disabled elder guy. I was trying to be respectful because, you know, Jeff didn't know anything about Kevin or the loop or anything like that. But that was classic. And oh, I, I just love those that what a great story that was. Hey, uh, speaking of uh, staying relevant, I, I, obviously you talk about Father's Day and in seriousness and family and all. Obviously your sons pushed you being athletes, you know, chirped you and did all those other things and probably helped in, in their own way keep you relevant also, right? Kept Absolutely. I'll tell you what, here's the thing. Uh, people think that this was such a glamorous job and in many ways it was, but for the most part, it was a grind. And I worked a night shift for 50 years from the time I was nine. So I missed as a married guy with three young sons, I missed dinner. I missed tucking you in at night. I missed homework. I missed meeting with the teachers. I missed everything Monday through Friday. And I, and I have to give it to my ex boy. She, uh, she did a really good job of uh, time management, all about academics and everything else. So I wasn't there for a lot of stuff. Hockey connected me to my kids. We took a million trips all across the United States, Canada, even played in Europe. Uh, they played AAA. Uh, they played for 10 different teams, Glenview, Evanston, Wilmette, Winnetka, uh, TI, CYA, The Chill, Nutrier. I mean, we were everywhere. And those were the trips that I could bond with my kids. We'd play these tournaments. They play 75, 85 games a year. It was like an NHL, it was an NHL schedule. <laughs> yeah, because you had to play 25 high schools to qualify for state. But they played at a AAA level at Nutrier. So we play all these AAA teams from all of North America. And you're in 10 tournaments a year. Oh, my gosh. It, it was crazy. But I loved it. Uh, I, I just wish I could go in the Wayback Machine and do it all over again. Being on the road with your son, watching them play against future NHLers. I mean, so great to sit with my three kids and watch a Stanley Cup playoff game. Well, they'll sit there and go, played against him, played against him, played against him, played against him. You know, don't know why he's in the league. He's terrible. He was so great. I was just hanging on his jersey. You know, it was, it was just wonderful insights. So I cherish. When you went up against those compuers in Chesterfields of the world, you, oh. you, you would see those guys, right? You go to Detroit, Honey Baked, Bell Tire, right? Uh, and really, uh, who else? Some of them were just—they were so nasty. If you actually had a lead on one of those Detroit teams, they would call it a curfew game, and they'd roll out the Zambonia like you're up four-three in the third period. Out the Zamboni and go, "Hey, we got to shut down, shut down the building. Uh, this game doesn't count." Yeah, I mean, they all kinds of stuff. It, a Honey Baked. All those, all those teams, they were just so nasty, Incredible. but loved it. Nonetheless, again, half the guys played at least in the AHL. 
Well, sure. you know, you talk about that. I, my father-in-law, God love him, 90 years old, Italian, first generation here. And he finally figured out, he called it a cult. He said, oh, yeah. in March, yeah. we don't call you. We don't wonder what you're doing. We don't anything. When you come back sometime late in May or June, depending on how deep you go in the playoffs, then we'll talk, we'll have dinner and do all that other stuff. But I yeah. never saw anybody who wasn't familiar with it nail it. But like you said, Mark, um, and I'm sure John, the same way, the conversations and getting to know your child in those situations when there was a loss or you went to a junior camp and it didn't work out and you really thought you had it nailed and now you got a six hour ride home to Minnesota, from Minnesota. Yeah. Now you got a parent and there's no place to go. You can't like roll the windows down or you can't, you got a parent during that period of time. You know, they'd be so upset. You didn't, you try your best to make them feel better. I got to tell you, I got better with each kid and I really feel bad about my oldest son because I pushed and pushed and pushed. I wasn't, you know, I was one of those kind of asshole hockey dads for a while until I, till I got it, till I understood. And then with each kid, I backed off more and more and became the guy who just stood up in the sands and applauded for my kids and my team and a great play by the other team as well. And I'll tell you, the parents who never played a sport living vicariously through their kids were the worst and the yeah. best were all, there'd be NHL dads sitting up in the stands, you know, Dale Hunter, you know, all these guys playing in Sarnia, right. uh, Bob Murray, when he played for the Hawks, he hated the media and used to give me shit so much. And then when he went on to expand his career to be a GM and everything else, we became hockey dads together. Our two played together on TI. Wow. And I learned a lot from him. Keep your mouth shut and learn. And uh, we remain good friends to this day. You know, he's still out there in Anaheim running the show. And uh, and it was it, those parents, Mark, those parents in the stands that, you know, had their kid in every camp and wanted uh, to know. I always yeah. tell uh, Mark, uh, who's running this tonight, you know, with stopwatches, you didn't play my kid enough when I was coaching and everything else. You just knew that, like you said, they were playing through their kids, they, you know, vicariously. It's, we had dads who would pick fights with the other dads and they're swinging, you know, in the stands, which oh. is, they're in the lobby of some rink, you know, mm -hmm. Duke out screaming and yelling at each other. And the moms were the worst. Oh my God. They were nasty to talk about. <laughs> no filters. Eat with that mouth. No filters. no filters. And, and I used to have to, I would run like uh, security for Blackhawk Cup out at the Leafs Ice Center out in West Dundee. And I wasn't kidding security. Yeah. yeah. We played a million of those tournaments. Yeah. And then you'd catch a guy and he'd be like, hey, you know, he's following the referee to the parking lot. I have a referee said, I'm not playing, I'm not calling the next game until the police get here. And like, hey, we'll have to go to Here's work one real quick. We're playing uh, in Detroit. Sergey Fedorov's dad is coaching the team we're playing against. My son's out in Illinois. Our defenseman is standing by their bench, and some guy on their bench whacks our defenseman from the bench. Our, our defenseman's father comes running down out of the stands, grabs a goalie stick, goes behind the bench, and starts pounding. Oh, dad, benches clear, police, everything. Our dad was banned from every rink in the league um, for a year. He would drive to Detroit still for every game and he would um, tailgate and barbecue for everybody out in the parking lot. I mean, 
we had a million stories like that. The one sure. picture that I can't find, I really need to find it, is my son was playing on a line with, uh, who was it, uh, Nico and Rocco Tortorello, okay? And so you got Matt Giangreco, Nico and Rocco, and they're all leaning up against the glass, getting ready to play a tournament game, watching the game that's on before them. Says Tortorello, Giangreco, Tortorello, and somebody dubbed it the spaghetti line. And I need <laughs> pictured and frame it as classic. It was just a lot of vowels, my friend. A lot of vowels. Right. That's what, hey, you know, John and I go way back to grade school growing up in Norwich, and everybody always asked me, obviously, from my name, you don't see it, but. Um, all my friends' name, last names ended in vowels. Yep. Fazo and Catalano and Canena, you name it, everybody had a, a last name that ended in a vowel. So, hey, you've been great with your time, Mark. We got a couple more minutes. I don't want the tape to run out if there's yeah. anything else. But I got to tell you, um, retirement looks great on you, man. It looks like Absolutely. you get it. I, I really do. You looks like you're driving it and, and you look like you're having fun with it. Well, I am. Thanks a lot. Like I said, my focus is family friends travel as soon as europe reopens i'll be there back to italy greece don't forget to call venus travel mark on that one yeah that's right, right we're going to talk about that but okay. i have to really flattered that i've had a ton of offers to get back in the ring a couple of tv stations a couple of radio stations numerous podcasts uh, a new publication wanting to be their sports columnist you know it, it's really great that everybody's reaching out but at this moment in time I think I'm done, man. I had a great run and I'd like to try something completely different. Hey, I might talk to you in a month and be doing a podcast or doing a radio show. I think I'm pretty much finished with television and this isn't sour grapes. I just have to say I was lucky. I was on the air and I got to play when it counted, when it mattered, when the ratings were through the roof. Now TV stations, their newscasts are competing for 200,000. Five newscasts competing for 200,000 viewers. In 1982, you had five newscasts competing for 3 million. And wow. local TV news has become pretty much irrelevant. It's an archaic platform. It's dying. I hope some of my friends who are still there get to eke out a few more years. But, hey, I got out just at the right time. And I had a fantastic run. So I just appreciate all of you. You did a great job, my friend. Thank, Thank you, you very much, Mark. We appreciate your time. All the best in retirement. You're always welcome anytime. Stay healthy. Enjoy those grandkids. And uh, happy Father's Day. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for being on Angles and Attitudes, Mark. Mm -hmm.